This is what's the Bible copy from ancient text. Unconditional love and commanding. Somebody cuts me off in traffic. Long night ahead of me. 
But, but, why does the ancient Sumerian religion differ from the Bible? The Sumerian civilization was founded around 4500 BCE, before the current era, right? He wrote down their history on clay tablets. The stories themselves were likely much older and passed down from generation to generation. We know this now for a fact because we found tablets that we thought were like the oldest, and then we kept looking and looking, and we found even older tablets with the same exact story on it. So these stories are actually tens of thousands of years old, not just 6,000 years old, right? So we're talking about a real ancient time. Another thing for me to point out is that the Sumerian civilization records start on average around 6,000 years ago, which is where the Bible got the 6,000-year creation story from. In other words, the Bible or religious zealots believe that the earth is only 6,000 years old, and the reason why is because it's plagiarized from Sumerian tablets, and the Sumerian tablets dated around 6,000 years ago. So to them, in their mind, it could be nothing older than that. And then that got passed down from generation to generation. You see how this religious virus keeps getting spread to the point where you develop an ignorance. Yes, the earth is older than 6,000 years. You know, and you hear all these crazy things like dinosaurs didn't exist and all this kind of crazy stuff. I mean, <laughs> this is why the aliens don't talk to us. The Sumerian civilization was founded. So the Sumerian history is about 5,000 years older than the Bible. The first written form of the Torah or the Old Testament of the Bible uh, was written was not written until somewhere between 1,000 and 900 BCE. And so we look at one of the oldest parts or some of the oldest parts of the Torah, which ended up becoming part of the canonized Bible. Not exactly word for word, but most of it. Um, you know, because the Jewish people believe in the Torah, the Jewish people don't believe that Jesus Christ is uh, the Son of God and that the Messiah has not returned, in case you didn't know. Jews do not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and they believe that, he, that the Messiah has not been here, has not come yet. In other words, the prophecy has not been fulfilled yet. <clears throat> and uh, in the Old Testament, a uh, majority of that, not all of it, but a lot of it comes from, from the Torah. <clears throat> so the Sumerians, <coughs> excuse me, the Sumerians were polytheists. Polytheism is a belief that worships many gods as opposed to monotheism, which is a belief in a one god system. And so we know for a fact that the Sumerians, the ancient Egyptians, and many other cultures around the world who had their information plagiarized into the canonized Bible uh, were polytheists. They believed in a multiple god system, whereas in Christianity, uh, it became the one God system. Now, there was a situation that happened in Egypt a very long time ago. Pharaoh Akhenaten. Pharaoh Akhenaten is King Tut's father. And so Nefertiti's husband. Uh, Nefertiti was King Tut's stepmother. Wasn't really his birth mother. Um, never could really find out what happened to King Tut's actual mom, but I keep looking and looking and looking. Either way, Akhenaten had began to worship a man. Now, our man told him, listen, there's only one God but me. I want nobody worshiping any of these other gods who actually were his relatives. These are the Anunnaki Atlantean people that were ruling over the lands all over the world. The Atlantean civilization was a global civilization. And he said, you know what? I want you, and I'm going to uh, uh, take this down for a second while I'm talking. 
He says, you know what? I want you to begin to force everyone to worship me and give thanks to me. Okay, this is Amun-Ra. And so, so Akhenaten is like, well, what, do you, what will you have me do, my Lord? And so he says, the first thing I want you to do is I want you to begin to deface any of the gods that you find around any of the kingdoms. the order of who? Arrow uh, The beginning of the monotheistic era that he was trying to usher in, and he had amassed a huge following of people that were on board with him. This is where the Bible stole the information for the mass exodus. So Akhenaten then eventually pisses off a lot of people throughout Egypt. A lot of these other polytricksters and other big name people were like, we gotta get this guy the heck out of here. They force him out when he leaves, he takes with him a huge mass following of people. That was the exodus out of Egypt. Why did the new pharaoh chase him down, or the new king who was temporarily put in charge chase him down? Well, because he had taken the Ark of the Covenant out of the king's chamber of the Great Pyramid at Giza, and that was part of their power source. When he crossed the Sea of Reeds, not the Red Sea, he crossed the Sea of Reeds, a much smaller, easier to cross, and closer sea. That's where the water came crushing back. Now, when you read into geological studies and look at that region like I've done on the planet, you'll discover that we can do a geological rewind of that area. And when you do a geological rewind based on computer simulation, we discover that there, around that same time frame, there was actually a massive tsunami in that region. What does a tsunami do? It sucks all the water out into dry land. And then what happens when a little while later, the water comes crashing back. Yeah. And so that is the story. So Moses, in my personal opinion, most likely was Pharaoh Akhenaten, took the people with him. There were no slaves in Egypt. Let me repeat this again. Not slaves of people's homes, but slaves building pyramids. Let me rephrase that. There were no slaves building the pyramids in Egypt. We know this for a fact because the temples in this Giza Plateau region found all the actual tablets in there that talk about workers. It talks about how much they were paid. It talks about their medical benefits. It talks about arms that were broken, legs that were broken, people that needed medical help, medical assistance. You don't do that for slaves. You don't pay slaves. These people were not slaves okay they were not slaves so pretty interesting stuff um he had amassed a huge following of people to go into the monotheistic mindset the one god religion which is very very important he ends up migrating uh out of there um and you know you find out that he ends up in kush people of the black land the black people he ends up getting a new wife down there and creating that whole that whole civilization down there. Pretty interesting stuff. Enuma Elish. Let's go into this for a second here. And in the height, heaven was not named. And in the earth beneath, not bear a name. And the 
free the primeval as uh, uh, apsu sorry the primeval apsu that's the waters begat them and the chaos tiamat the mother of them both their waters were mingled together and no field were formed no marsh was to be seen when the gods none had been called into being you see how they talk they talk like yoda from star trek now you know where george lucas got uh, yoda's dialect from he got it from the sumerian tablets no field was formed no marsh to be seen when the gods none had been called into being none bore name and no destinies were ordained. Then were created in God's midst of heaven, Lamu, Lahabu, called into being. Earth and the, we're talking about, I'm sorry, uh, the moon and, and, and another planet. So, uh, uh, Mars. And so we're talking about here this Tiamat, which actually was destroyed in the Enumilish. And the water, it was a water bearing planet, and the waters from Tiamat then became the separated waters from the waters, which made that into biblical text. And a new earth coalesced, or earth actually coalesced. Earth was actually a chunk of Tiamat. Earth was a part of this broken off piece that flew away from Tiamat and recoalesced with the waters that were already there, the organic material for life and everything else. It recoalesced as a planet, took, taking the third position of the sun, as Tiamat became the asteroid belt going around the sun. The asteroid belt is Tiamat, the ancient, broken, destroyed planet through, through two planets colliding together. If you read the Enuma Elish, it also talks about the fact that because of that situation, Mars was formed. Mars used to be an actual moon of Tiamat, but it was slung into a very strange elliptic orbit around our sun. And uh, when you look at Mars, you see one side is charred and the other side is smooth. Why is that? Because the side that was facing Tiamat when it blew up, a lot of that debris hit Mars and charred that side. And it also made it shift its pole of the crust about 45 degrees more evidence that Mars used to orbit Tiamat, and also when you do a geological rewind, you find out that it used to orbit closer into the sun, and that it was probably orbiting Tiamat itself. And then the moon, it talks about the fact that the moon was tugged away, when you dig into the text, uh, gravitationally with a huge chunk that recoalesced as Earth. The moon, according to the Enuma Elish, I have to say it that way so they don't take my video away, according to the Enuma Elish, the moon that we have did not come from a collision between Earth and a gigantic asteroid or comet, it came from orbit around Tiamat. As Tiamat uh, was destroyed and became the asteroid belt, the moon, which we call our moon now, was tugged gravitationally along with this huge chunk that recoalesced as the planet Earth. But what's interesting is this whole text right here is pretty much almost identical in the book of Genesis. If you open up the book of Genesis and begin to read the creation story, you begin to see this virtual story. Without the moon and Mars, but the rest of it, you'll see it there. The Enuma Elish resembles a few parts of the Bible, especially Genesis 1, both being the temporal clauses. When above and in the beginning, in the ancient world, the sea was associated with chaos and destruction. The Bible includes a number of texts which God battles and names, uh, battles and tames the chaotic sea, like Marduk. Who is Marduk, by the way? Marduk is Amun-Ra. Okay. Who Amun Ra is battling Tiamat. Tiamat is the planet that exploded. Who embodies the sea? In Genesis 1, God is already superior to the deep, which Hebrew, Tinom, the words related to Tiamat. So we know in the Bible or in Hebrew that Tinom, Tihom, I'm sorry, is Tiamat. So Tiamat is mentioned in the Sumerian tablets, but it's also mentioned in the Bible as Tihom, 
which is the same name, but the same word it translates the same as Tiamat. So we know that the reference of the Bible to this creation story in the very beginning, the tumultuous creation of Earth, is coming from the same exact source, which is thousands of years older than the Bible itself. Rather than creating out of nothing, both God and Marduk create by giving order to chaos. Marduk, now, why Marduk? Why is his name in there? Well, the original name was not Marduk in the original version of the Edom Elish. If you look at the older tablet, which was discovered later, you find out that Marduk was not the name on the older tablet. It was Nibiru. And uh, when Marduk was ruling over the earth, Herman Ra, he decided to change the name of Nibiru to Marduk in a newer tablet, still thousands of years old, but not as old as the super ancient tablet that was discovered. Right? For Marduk means creating out of Tiamat's corpse. In other words, Tiamat had been destroyed, and so now he's going to use that destroyed all that debris to create planets and stuff in the solar system. Both God and Marduk separate primordial waters and place a barrier between the upper and lower waters. If you read the Bible, you'll see that's exact text. Both create luminaries to give light. Genesis 1, Genesis 1 occurs over seven days, and the enemy list is told across seven tablets. Do you see the similarities here? You think that's a coincidence? See, somebody took the story the ancient tablet, and they began to remix a little bit, <laughs> freelance a little bit. You see what I'm saying? Pretty interesting. And he says, uh, on the sixth day, God creates humans, which Marduk does in the sixth tablet of the Enuma Elish. Oh, no, no, listen, there's no coincidences. While God marks humans as special by making them in God's image, Marduk has man created from the blood of a slain God. God orders humans to work and care for the earth. Marduk assigns work for the gods to humans, and so the gods can rest. So basically, it's the same exact story. Finally, both the Enumeralist and the Bible right, include stories about the founding of Babylon, which is Babylon Hebrew, including the building of a tower of, uh, of a zig or ziggurat, which I talk about many times in many of my clips, Tower of Babel incident, which comes out of the Sumerian tablets. But while Marduk names the city Babili, which means the gate of the gods, the Bible uh, calls it the Tower of Babel or the city of Babel in Hebrew, which means to confuse. And we do know that at the Tower of Babel situation where God comes back, who actually was, <coughs> it was actually Yahweh, who was actually in Lil in the ancient tablets, he comes back and sees that the humans are building this tower, uh, and, and, and he realizes that, wow, they can do whatever they set their heart to do. That text actually made it into the Bible as well. And so he says, man's year shall be 120. So he had limited our years, which means a genetic modification, not letting us live too long. Because if we live too long, we get too smart. And if we get too smart, we realize we don't need to be working for these people. We can do everything ourselves. It's almost like AI becoming awakened. And so he destroys the tower, and then he separates the people, and he changes all of our languages so we can't communicate. That's why you have a lot of different languages on Earth right now. That we can't communicate and collaborate and network as easy as we could. And that created a divide and conquer tactic, one of the very first incredible divide and conquer tactics that still works today. The Epic of Gilgamesh. Before the creation of heaven and earth, there was a void. Genesis states that the earth was unformed and void, with darkness over the surface and of the deep, and a wind 
and God over the water. Well, not exactly the same, it implies a similar meaning to the introduction idea of the united heaven and earth. The Epic of Gilgamesh says the same thing. In Genesis, God existed before the heavens and the earth. The Epic of Gilgamesh's introduction is entirely clear about the God. It's not entirely clear about the gods who existed before the separation of heaven and earth, but we know that they did exist because they talk about them all the time. So we know that the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is a huge story, out of that huge story, which predates the Bible by thousands of years, you get the story of Noah's Ark, which is a tiny fraction of the Epic of Gilgamesh. And the Epic of Gilgamesh is taught in universities all over the world in ancient civilizations. Okay? When I took my course at Harvard University in ancient civilizations, you have to study, you have to know information about the Epic of Gilgamesh. We do Genesis and the Great Flood. In the Sumerian version of the flood story, the gods decide to destroy the human civilization. In the Epic of Gilgamesh, the gods decide to destroy humankind because they are being too noisy while the gods are trying to sleep. <coughs> Excuse me, the asthma's acting up. But in the Iridu Genesis, they lack a clear explanation as to why they're really doing this destruction. It's just saying that, look, there's a flood coming. Enki, betraying the other gods, tells the protagonist, Ziazudra. Ziazudra in the ancient Sumerian tablets is actually Noah in the Bible of his plan and how to avoid dying in the flood. He instructs him to build an ark. And we found the actual ark tablet. <clears throat> this ark tablet is a real tablet. It was discovered only about four or five years ago. And this ark tablet is a description of how to build the ark. And the ark was not like the one described in the Bible, which leads to more freelancing again. The ark was described to be had built as a round uh, ship or submersible, and it had corridors in there. And the instructions were not to take two insects, two ants, and, and two praying mantises, and two lions, and two sheep, and, and two elephants, and all the animals from all around the planet onto this boat, onto this round submersible. The, the, the instructions were to collect samples from your local area of your plant flora, uh, seed, and so forth from around the local area, and some of your local livestock. That's it. Not this fairy tale that they've been teaching you in, in Bible study since forever. You know, you had two cockroaches come on the thing. You had, <laughs> you had two puppies of every type and all this other kind of crazy uh, stuff. No, that didn't happen. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to bust your bubble, but that never happened. Okay? Zia Zidra versus Noah. Genesis is a monotheistic, uh, you know, book. Both Zeezidra and Noah are instructed by one God to build an ark and escape the flood. But the decision to destroy humanity is made by one and one only God. So in Genesis, you have the Abrahamic religions who believe only one God exists. Multiple gods decide to destroy the earth in the polytheistic era of Genesis. Now when you read the Sumerian tablets, you find not only in the era of Genesis, but in other tablets as well, that these gods had collaborated together and that some of them did not want the earth to be destroyed, and they were begging to the, the, the leaders, Enki and Enlil, primarily Enlil, who had full control and decision-making, and also Anu, their father, begging to them to please not let this come, not let this calamity happen, and they decided that, you know what, the, the experiment here had gone wrong, the people had gotten too noisy, they had gotten too wild and crazy, 
they had gotten too intelligent. <clears throat> uh, we want to just start over. And while this flood, which seems like a directed asteroid strike, while this flood through whatever method they used, swept over the land and turned all the kingdoms into mud, they actually were on this sky ship crying and weeping and loathing that their creation had been destroyed. This is in Sumerian tablets. Pretty interesting stuff. <clears throat> Noah and his family remained human. Let me, let me read this first. Hold on. Okay, yeah. So Noah and his family remained human. After the flood, both Zeazudra and Noah are blessed by their gods, but in different ways. Zeazudra becomes immortal. So in the Sumerian tablets, uh, the gods give grant Zeazudra immortality by giving him some type of genetic mutation, allowing him to live an extended lifespan. Not necessarily immortal for eternity, but an extended lifespan. In other words, more than the 120 years. Um, and when you look at it, then you see that uh, Noah and his family remain mortal in the Bible version, right? In the book of Genesis, God establishes a covenant with humankind, promising to never destroy them again. The promise that God makes to Noah sets Abrahamic religion far apart from Mesopotamian polytheism. The Mesopotamians believed that they had to constantly keep the gods happy or else they would wreak havoc upon the earth, even when all their efforts, so forth and so on, you know, were, were being met and unpredictable. So what happens here is you see, and let me pause from here and go back uh, full screen. This is another good example of something I was talking about earlier <coughs> when we first started this podcast. The fact that the illusion in the biblical text that, you know, you know, we, we, we saved your family and everything's going to be all good. But if you look at the story after the family's been saved and, and, and they're starting fresh again, right? It also says in the Bible that not everybody died. It also says in the Sumerian text, not everybody died. So Noah and his family were not the only people left. Read it good. Read your good book good. Read, I know the book at the back of my hand. Know the book like the back of my hand. There were giants that survived. The Anunnaki, they call them the Anak. They survived the Great Flood. And there were other people that also survived the Great Flood. So pretty interesting. So it wasn't just Noah's family. Now, here is where it gets really important. You have to understand through genetics. Noah's family did not have enough genetic diversity to repopulate the earth. Think about that. I want you to go and think about your, your initial family, you, your wife, your, your kids, and just with your own mind, think about this for a second. Think about your job now has been issued to you to repopulate the entire planet from this small genetic pool. What do you think is going to happen after you all start having sex with each other? You're going to have a whole bunch of uh, disabled people walking around. With deformities, mental illness, right? You can't even go past the second or third generation doing that before everything falls apart. You definitely ain't going to create 8 billion people from that small genetic pool. Just like Adam and Eve did not create 8 billion people. Two people did not create 8 billion. There were people here already. Adam and Eve were just two of many that already had existed. See? This is basic bare bones biology. Like biology 101. Like if you go to university and tell on your test, they ask you a question on your test, if you can mate with your brother and sister and create 8 billion people, and you put yes, you fail that class. You fail. 
<laughs> and I dare you to try it in real life and see what happens. So we got to start thinking more logically. The thing that happened after Noah's family uh, survived, they met other people, other survivors. They built a new civilization. They, they kick-started another civilization in that region of the planet. Other people were thriving in other parts of the world. Um, but what's interesting is they go right back into the same old ritualistic things, trying to keep God happy, trying to satisfy God all the time by having sacrifices and this and that. They went back right into the same old system again. So even though the biblical text is trying to say that, hey, they just, you know, they, they were blessed and they could start fresh again, not true. It's the same as the Sumerian version where they had to keep trying to keep the gods happy through sacrifices nonstop. See? Look at 49. So are the Anunnaki and the Nephilim the same? They are absolutely the same people. All right. Okay. I'm clicking the wrong button here somewhere. There we go. All right, so let me go back in here again. Are we going to get into the debates? Debates are a very important text. Thank you, T. Wells. I appreciate you. Oh, yeah, you're going to be going to Egypt with us as soon as your boys are old enough. That's going to be great because I'm going to keep on going nonstop like I've always been doing. Since 2014, I've been going nonstop, and I'm looking forward to having you guys with us. So the debates. The debates is a text. It's a text that tells you the Cain and Abel story before Cain and Abel even existed. Okay? It tells you the Cain and Abel story. It's right, it reads it a little slightly differently, but it's the same exact story. The debate between the sheep and grain describes the primordial hill where the gods live. An, who is also Anu, right? The sky god creates two sisters, Ashan, the goddesses of the sheep, and Lahar, the goddess of grain. An creates these goddesses to clothe and feed all the gods and goddesses on the primordial hill, but they realize that they do not understand how to use their sister's gifts, so they created man to feed and clothe the gods instead. Later, Ashnan and Lahar fight over which sister has the more meaningful gift. The story ends with the gods, Enkian and Lil, intervening in the debate and declaring Ashnan the winner. Similar story between, uh, you know, from the biblical text is... Um, Debate, debate between Sumer and Winter. The gods create Emesh, Sumer, for vegetation and the abundance of the earth. The ten, Emesh's brother, identified with Winter, was responsible for the fertility of livestock. When the brothers fight, Enlil declares Emesh, the more important of the two, and they reconcile after Enlil's ruling. The same Cain and Abel story over and over again. Right? The two debates discussed above bear the most striking resemblance to the Genesis story of Cain and Abel. Genesis 4.1 through 4.16. Like the debate, the story of Cain and Abel involves quarreling siblings, but while the debate tablets discuss relatively insignificant events, the story of Cain and Abel is amongst the most tragic tales in the Bible. One of the very first recorded murders, right? When God appreciates Abel's offerings but not Cain's, Cain becomes jealous and angry. God warns Cain not to give him uh, give it to his anger, but Cain does not listen and kills his brother Abel uh, in envious rage. Uh, punishes Cain by cursing him to wander ceaselessly. Now, what does he do? God tells Cain, you got to get out of here. And Cain goes in the Bible, he says, but the people out there will kill me. So wait a minute. If you believe in the version that most people believe in of the Bible, you know that there's Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Cain and Abel <clears throat> right? Cain kills Abel. So now there's Adam and Eve and Cain. 
Now Cain gets kicked out of the garden, but all of a sudden he knows that there's people out there. What people? That's in the Bible. There were millions of people already here. When Adam and Eve arrived here, there were already people here. Adam and Eve were not the first people on this planet. They were the first Homo sapiens sapiens versions, the first genetically modified by the Inu, by the Anunnaki, to be able to reproduce in a certain type of way. The other people, a lot of them weren't able to reproduce in that way, and the ones who were were creating a lot of uh, rarities, uh, uh, giants that uh, didn't have long lifespan, all kind of crazy stuff was going on, according to these texts. When you look at the, uh, the story of the Adamu, when Isis says, I'm going to take this baby to term, and I'm going to bring forth the first one that works the proper way, and she takes one of the existing hominids, which is our cousins on this planet, takes the egg out of her womb and puts it into her own womb, and takes it to term for 10 months, and then she gives birth to the Adamu, which means first man. That was Adam. It means that he was the first perfectly created man that can actually reproduce on his own, that had enough common sense and logic and wisdom and understanding to take orders, but also to think for himself. And then they tried to mate him with some of the other people that were there, and they, they, the mating wasn't working. So then they took some more genetic material from him, and then they cloned or recreated an Eve and had them mate. When they figured out that worked and they can have a baby, then they duplicated that experiment over and over and over again. They made a lot of atoms through the same process. Not Adam having babies with Eve, but them creating new Adams and new Eves and having them live in this Eden, E-D-I-N, which was located in Mesopotamia, which is now modern-day Iraq, according to the tablets, not according to Billy Carson. And in this mating area, they were had certain specific times they could and couldn't mate. And if you violated that, <clears throat> you would be punished. So they were cattle. They were like cattle. And that's why when Enki comes and sneaks up into the garden and starts giving them knowledge, that was the snake. And Lil comes back and discovers that they had gained some knowledge about themselves and realized that they weren't animals, that they were sentient beings. He gets pissed off and calls his brother a snake in the tablets. You see? Unlike the debate between Sumer and Winter, Cain and Abel do not reconcile. It is a story that teaches us about the consequences of our actions, human fallibility, and so forth and so on. So basically, it's a remix of ancient stories. All this is remixed. Remixed stuff, you see? Well, we do a little comparison since we're wrapping up part one of a four-part series. Sumerian Tablets. The oldest tablet recorded dates back to around 2300 BCE, but the story is likely much, much older. We're talking about tens of thousands of years old, because now we have found tablets that are much older than 2300 BCE. Okay? Polytheistic, multiple gods, has many recorded creation stories that are often incomplete because of broken tablets and such. But ironically, the parts that weren't broken make it into the Bible. Interesting. You have the Sumerian tradition, which includes the Great Flood story, Eridu Genesis, Zeozudra is rewarded with eternal life. The Sumerians wrote many debate stories called Disputations, which mimic Cain and Abel's story. And you look at the book of Genesis, there's side-by-side -side comparison. You see the comparisons there. You see the slight remixing going on. You see that the text that made it into uh, that part of Genesis was mostly just um, plagiarized text from ancient tablets, which then were slightly remixed in some cases, but uh, ultimately come from ancient text. Very important stuff. 
very, very important stuff. And so why is it important to know this? Because it's important to know and understand who you are and where you came from, how we got here, and what happened in the ancient past. Because until we find out what really happened in the ancient past, we can't plan for a better future because the past is prologue. We're in a, we're in a loop. This stuff keeps happening over and over and over again. We keep going through this vicious cycle of rise and fall of civilizations. We keep going through this vicious cycle of, uh, of situations that happened in the past reappearing in, on our timeline and happening over and over again. See, if you go back in time to 23, uh, 2023 BCE, you'll find the same exact stuff we're going through now happening back then. Not necessarily with the technology level, but with the social issues, you'll find it. Every section, every era of time that you have in our current era, match and go back and study history for that previous area at BCE, you'll find the same stuff happening. It's like we're in a time loop. Keep doing it over and over and over and over again. Until we understand and know this kind of stuff, until we dig deep into the information that we've been fed and forced, analyze it, break it apart, rip it apart, and, and put it back together again, until then, we'll continue to go through this vicious cycle of rise and fall of civilizations, rise and fall of awareness and knowledge and ascension and wisdom. We'll keep getting to a certain point and falling right back down again. At some point, we got to learn how to walk, and then we got to learn how to run, see? Thank you, Big Fire uh, Gaming. I appreciate you. It's, it's this big cycle, you know? A big, uh, he says, let me see what he says here. <clears throat> what happened to the Anunnaki? Why are they gone now? Good question. The Anunnaki actually are not gone. They're still here. If you look at the text, you discover there was a second pyramid war which occurred between Amun-Ra and his relatives. Some flee and some stay. They actually dropped what they called, listen to this, weapons of mass destruction on this planet. WMDs. <laughs> yeah, in ancient times. You thought, you thought George Bush Jr. came up with that term? The Iraq War? you think he got it from the tablets and in this dropping of these weapons it created something called an evil wind in the text and in this evil wind whoever was in it, where this evil wind was moving we're talking about nuclear fallout of some type radiation fallout people's fingernails were falling off their hair was falling out their nose and eyes were bleeding this is all symbols their skin was boiling this is all signs of radiation uh radiation sickness when you look at the region that it was talked about being dropped in, you find the, the uh, Mohenjo-Daro in the Indus Valley. You find the, the Giza Plateau and many other areas around the region where sand and buildings were vitrified and turned into glass. Matter of fact, in the Indus Valley, bodies are still laying in the street. Google Indus Valley, Mohenjo-Daro. You'll see bodies laying in the street, holding hands, just the skeletons that have never, ever, ever been uh, you know eaten by any wild animals because they're they're radiated they're radiated. So we know that there was a a, a, a a nuclear war of some type in the ancient past. In this text, some of these beings fled to safe areas and some left. The ones that stayed continue to mate with humans and create offspring. And their ancestors and their bloodline is walking amongst us this very day. So in some ways, genetically, they never left. And all of us, including every single human on this planet has a little touch of that DNA in our body. Any homo sapiens sapiens has a little slight touch of that DNA in our body. So 
in essence, we're all here. Now, I believe that they're watching us through the Black Knight satellite. That's why I wrote that documentary, The Black Knight Satellite, on, uh, Beyond the Signal. They're watching us, and they're monitoring us to see how far we're going to go and if we're going to become a rival of them. So pretty interesting stuff. Terrence Tech says, hey, Billy, what's the great book for the uh, etymological words of the Bible in Hebrew, Aramaic scriptures? That's good. Uh, good a great question. I have uh, these books that break all the words down, and you can actually look up the breakdown of these words. You don't even have to buy a book. You can look them up on Google. You can get the breakdown of the words all the way going back into the original text. And what I'll do is I'll make a special video with that, and I'll do a demonstration online of how to do it. And I'll show you guys exactly how it's done, how to break down all the words. The man holding water appears to go, appears, go within myself. Thank you, DJ Quicko. And I'm sorry if I missed anybody else that was doing that. Um, I'm going to do a video, a pop-up podcast tomorrow talking about the mothership that they talked about on mainstream news with probes coming out of it. That'll be a pop-up podcast tomorrow, which I think is going to be amazing. I'm going to talk about that object. And I think it's direct, directly related to the Black Knight satellite, in my personal opinion. Uh, there are some similarities. Not that it is the, the Black Knight. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is the fact that there could be things monitoring us or looking at us. And also look at the other side. Could it be owned by the government? Can they be testing some advanced tech and, and letting us think this UFOs when in true reality, it's ours? Both sides, I'll analyze both sides on a pop-up podcast. I'll be on a couple times tomorrow because tomorrow's going to be a special day. I'm going to pop up and talk about something very interesting tomorrow. You're not, you're not going to want to miss it. Okay, you're not going to want to miss it. Um, interestingly enough, we have a great, great thing coming up. As you know, the Forbidden Conscious Awards. And I want you guys to watch this real quick. And I'll drop the link for you to start voting for your favorite podcaster, radio host, uh, archaeologist, ufologist, anybody that helps help give you any type of enlightenment whatsoever. I want you guys to begin to, uh, you know, go ahead and start voting. Voting is free. It doesn't cost you any money. But start voting for your favorite conscious people so they have a chance to win an award. Hey, everybody. It's Billy Carson, also known as Forbidden Knowledge. I want to talk to you about a very special event coming up July 30th, 2023, the Forbidden Conscious Awards, the first annual event of its type. We're going to honor people who have been contributing to the conscious community for decades. People that you know and love that have helped you get to higher levels of thought and consciousness and awareness. And guess what? It's time to give them their flowers while they're still alive. It's going to be a live in-person event, but seats are going to sell out very fast. We want to make sure you're there in person for this amazing level event. It's going to be above the Oscars, above the Grammys. And guess what? You can help vote for the winners. Voting is available on ForbiddenKnowledge.com. And the categories are going to be social media influencer, podcast slash radio host, TV host, actor, director, producer, entrepreneurs, health and wellness, philanthropists, authors, field researchers, archaeologists, space anomaly hunters, and of course, a lifetime achievement award. If you want to be there in person, because I'm going to be speaking. That's right. I'll be your keynote speaker that night at the Forbidden Conscious Awards. If you want to come to a mini conference, this is the place to be because I'm going to give you the knowledge that night as well as performances. 
We have celebrity guests performing. We'll have a halftime show where we're actually going to perform music for you. And don't forget about the pre-event mixer where if you buy a box seat, you'll be in the VIP section and you'll also have private access to a VIP mixer with celebrity guests. Shake hands, break bread, network, and then walk the red carpet with us and take amazing photos. It's going to be a night to remember. You don't want to forget this. And you help vote by going to ForbiddenKnowledge.com. Go to the Conscious Awards link. You can text in a vote for who you want for any category, as well as if you're out of the country, you can use the web form ballot to still vote for anyone you think is worthy of being honored that night. Make sure you hurry up and get your tickets because they're selling out very fast. I want to see you there. Forbidden Conscious Awards 2023. It's going to be an amazing night. I'll be speaking that night. I'll be your keynote speaker. I'm going to give you a mini conference. If you've always wanted to come see me speak in person, if you have a copy of my book, bring it with you so I can sign it live at the actual event. Take some pictures with you on the red carpet and have you come and enjoy an amazing show. I saw somebody had commented earlier that they'd rather watch something like this for conscious people getting awards than the Grammys or the Emmys. It's all going right. Respect to those people who get their awards for acting and singing and everything else, but at the same time, it's time to recognize people in the community that have been dedicating their lives and their finances and, and their health and everything else to trying to awake, awaken humanity. And so we're going to recognize them and give them their uh, awards while they still are alive, not waiting for people to pass away and say, oh, this was a great person. I wish we could have. No, we're going to do it now. And you guys can vote for the winners. So I, I encourage you to please go and vote. There's so many categories to vote for. <clears throat> I saw so many incredible names that I didn't even think of on the, we have over 1,800 votes in already. And I've been looking at the names of people who are voting for different categories. And some of them, I'm like, wow, I didn't even know this person had this or that or this interest. I didn't know they had this much of a following of people who were wanting them to get an award. So this is so incredible. What we're going to do is when we get to the top three nominees in each category, there's going to be a special website made just for them. And then you'll get to go vote for the winner of those three in each category. And then we will have to order their amazing trophies. These trophies are gigantic, clear quartz uh, crystal pyramids. which are fully engraved with their names and everything on it. It's just, they're so beautiful. I actually have one here as a sample to test it and make sure it was just what it said it was. 10 pounds, it weighs 10 pounds. Amazing awards. Far nicer than anything you've ever seen on TV given away. And we're giving them away at the Forbidden Conscious Awards. And we're also going to give away an Audi A4 at the award show, an Audi A4. All right, so Audi A4 will be parked there. In order to win it, you have to be there in person. You can't win it from home. If you have a ticket and be in the audience, if we call somebody and they're not in the audience, we'll have to pick somebody else. But the car will be there with a bow on top. They'll be handed the title and the deed that day at the Conscious Awards. It's going to be amazing. An amazing night to remember. You want to be there in person. If you've never been to a conference or a workshop or a class live, something you just don't want to miss. All right? Seats are selling out fast, so you got to get your ticket. July 30th, 2023. I want to see you guys there. Thank you for coming on tonight. I'm going to do uh, this whole thing again. I'm going to continue to do these. This, this, this one topic, you know, was the Bible copy from ancient texts, and I'm going to break it into four. So I got three more episodes to go covering these texts, and I'm going to continue to show you like I did tonight, side by side, verse by verse, the difference between the Sumerian text 
and the, uh, now as I get further into it, you're going to see other texts, not just Sumerian. It'll be, it'll be integrated with so many others. The Egyptian Book of the Dead, which is really the Egyptian Book of Going Forth by Day. The Tibetan Book of the Dead. The Mahabharata. Uh, the Vedas. We're going to get into all these different texts. I'm going to start breaking down to you where a lot of this information came from, as well as, of course, the Emerald Tablets, which is a lot of the New Testament there. So it's going to be amazing. And uh, I want you guys to learn. And, of course, I always bring the receipts and tell you my sources. That way, you can go research for yourself. That's the most important thing. We want everybody to become their own researcher, not just have me sitting up here telling you everything, and then you're sitting up there going, yeah, yeah, that's what he said. Oh, no, I want you to research. I want you to learn. See, the difference between me and the other uh, people out there in terms of religious sects they don't want you to go out and, and become the deeper knowledge person because they need to be the, the one with all the information that you come to to give your money to. See, me, I want you to go out there and learn. I want you to become a better person. I want you to become wiser. See, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. When the teacher is ready, the master will appear. And you're all three. For the student, the teacher, and eventually you have the right and the, and the, and the willpower to become the master. And you can all do it. You can all do it. And forbidden knowledge will become common knowledge. And when forbidden knowledge becomes common knowledge, that means we're in the golden age. <laughs> That's where we're headed. Period. Point blank. All right? I appreciate you guys. Uh, I do want to play one more clip about the Mercedes-Benz AMG giveaway. And then I'm going to say my last final, final parting words. But we are giving away Mercedes-Benz. You know, we gave away the Rolls-Royce. We gave away a Ford uh, Sport. Uh, last couple years. This year we're giving away a Mercedes-Benz AMG. get your ticket for the raffle ticket for the Mercedes-Benz AMG. A portion of those proceeds goes to communities and schools. We've done videos with the board of directors on this YouTube account here. 10% of the money that they collect goes to administrative costs. 90% goes to the kids. That's where all the money you guys donate goes to as well. We cut checks to them all the time, and it's a great cause. As a matter of fact, when we sell books on our book, uh, our book publishing, we send them checks from that money as well. And it's a great program because they actually get the money to the kids where they needed to help the kids, underprivileged children uh, in, in the uh, inner city area, clothing, homelessness, tutoring, mentoring, you name it, they do it. And that's why we love them and we support it. Uh, and it's going, to be an, it's going to be an incredible raffle for somebody to get that car that they can actually keep. It's a full warranty on that car. The car only has 13,000 or 12,000 something miles, almost 13,000 miles on it. Bumper to bumper warranty by Mercedes-Benz directly. And when you win, you'll be given the deed and the title, and you can do whatever you want. Sell it or keep it. It's up to you, all right? Anyway, guys, we appreciate you guys. We love you. And I will be back again tomorrow several times because i got a huge announcement tomorrow. Make sure you look out for my a uh, couple of my new thumbnails coming up on my uh, 
uh, my premiere for the podcast that I'm going to be doing tomorrow night. It's going to be a little shocking, but you're going to love it. Make sure you're there.